going to look today at a subject entitled The Precious Church. And we're not going to look at the whole of this section I read today. We're going to focus in on what I think is the most important phrase in this great address of Paul's to the elders of the church in Ephesus. Now, in this address, Paul gives testimony about his own ministry. You can see that in verses 18 to 27 and verses 31 to 35. And then in between that, he exhorts the elders to fulfill their pastoral responsibilities in verses 28 to 30. Now, in due course, over these next weeks, we will look at those sections. But today, I want us just to come and home in on this crucial phrase we see at the end of verse 28. The church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, I've been drawn in my preparation just to focus on this phrase because I think it helps us teach, teach us something very crucial and important about the church. And often today, people have a very wrong understanding about what the church is and what the church is about. So hopefully this will uh, correct that. But the other reason why I've been drawn to this phrase, I think it's particularly appropriate to consider on what is a communion Sunday as we meet around the table of the Lord. So as we look at this subject, the precious church, just looking at this phrase, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, First thing I want us to see is that it is the called church. Hopefully, most people realize that the Greek word for church is ecclesia, which means the called out ones. It's a term that would have been used in Greek society when there was an election. People were called out. They were called out to be part of a crowd that would vote. That was called the ecclesia the called out ones. And so the church is made up of those who are called of God. Now, the members of the church are, first of all, called by God to come to Christ for salvation. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 6, God describes those who are believers as those called to belong to Jesus Christ. And that's one of the most important things about what a Christian is, they've heard the call and responded to that call to come to Jesus. In John 7, we see Jesus give a wonderful invitation. It says there, on the last day of the feast, the great day, that's the Feast of the Tabernacles, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so Jesus calls us to come, to come to him in faith, trusting what he has done for our salvation, and we receive this eternal life. He describes eternal life like rivers of water welling up within us, this life to the full, this life of completeness which goes on forever. So the members of the church are those who have been called to come to Christ. But also... There are those who have been called by God to be different from this world. Called by God to come to him through Jesus to be his own special people. 
1 Peter 2 and verse 9 summarizes this very well. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we're to be a people who are called out of darkness, out of the darkness of sin and evil that's in this world, to come into the glorious light of Jesus, this new life that's to be found in him. This means we are to be a people who deliberately leave behind the ways of darkness, the ways of sin. We were thinking on Wednesday night at our pre-communion and that wonderful passage in Zechariah 2 about the the new Jerusalem that's going to be formed. A new Jerusalem will have no walls because there will be so many people just bursting out of the city, such as the crowd of those who belong to it. The new Jerusalem were indeed is protected by the fire of God around them, the new Jerusalem which has the glory of God living among them. It's a picture of the church in glory. But after that description of this new Jerusalem, the prophecy through Zechariah then calls the people to leave Babylon and come to Zion, to come to Jerusalem. They have to deliberately leave behind their old life, their old life of sin and wickedness. And remember, of the vast multitude of people who were taken into captivity in Babylon, only a small crowd returned. And one of the things we said the other night, the problem wasn't just that the people were living in Babylon, but that Babylon was living in the people. And so the call of God is to leave Babylon. Babylon represents all that is wicked and evil in this world. The call of God is to leave sin behind and to come to the Lord to be a different people. Peter says there, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's what we are called to be as Christians. It's not what we are to aspire to be. Do you notice what he says there? He says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You're different. Now that you've come to Christ, your identity is different. You belong to the Lord. You follow the beat of a different drum from the world. Because our citizenship is with Christ in glory. It's the standards of heaven. It's the standards of Christ. Not the standards of this world that are indeed to rule and to guide us. So this should mean that we're different. Different from the world out there in how we think. Different from the world out there in what we desire. Different from the world out there in regards to our, our words how we speak and what we speak about and our actions. So can people see today that you're part of a a called church, called to come to Christ, called to leave behind the ways of the world? Can the world out there see that you're part of this chosen race, this royal priesthood, this holy nation? Can they see that we speak with a love that's sadly missing in the world? Can they see we speak with a purity, with an integrity? We behave with a love and integrity. 
the called church, called to be God's special people, ecclesia, the called out ones. And then the second thing we see here, it is the, the purchased church, the church of God, which he obtained, it says here in the English Standard Version, which we have. Now, most translations have the phrase, not obtained, but the phrase purchased. Howard Marshall, who is a Bible commentator, he says that the translation obtained instead of purchased is a weak translation and therefore purchased would be a, a better translation. Now, no Bible translation is perfect and I really trust the ESV. I really trust the translators of this Bible. I wouldn't say that of every edition of the Bible or every translation, but the ESV, good evangelical scholars, they know what they're doing. And so I was thinking, why did they put obtained here instead of the word purchase? And, and certainly looking at it, I would prefer the word purchase. I think it's stronger. Why did they put the word obtained here? I think there are a number of reasons. I'm just focusing on one. The Greek word here, translated as obtained, is in the middle voice. Now, that means the verb is speaking not just about the action of purchasing, but the consequence of that action, the result of the purchasing. In other words, what is important here in the original is not just that God has paid a price for the church, but the consequence of him paying that price is that the church belongs to God. And that is part of the emphasis here. The church is owned by God. And that is why the ESV translators, among other reasons, have used the word obtained. It's the sense of belonging. It is highlighting who the church belongs to at this time. Occasionally, you may see me in a, one of the shops around the Hockle, and you might see me in my hand uh, a Disney, with a Disney Princess magazine, which I am purchasing. Uh, you'll be glad to know when I purchase a, a Disney Princess magazine in one of the shops, I am not keeping it for myself. Uh, be comforted by that. Uh, you'd worry if that was true as your minister. Uh, but obviously I'm purchasing it for somebody who's a bit younger in the house. Okay, Karis, Stephen Boris and Johanna. It's definitely for Karis. Okay, in that. So I purchase it and I give it away. The emphasis here is that God has purchased the church. But there's no way he is giving it away. God has purchased the church to keep it. God has purchased the church so that it belongs to him forever. That is the emphasis here. That's why that word obtained is used in the ESV translation. Now this language of God obtaining or purchasing the church, it comes from the Old Testament when it speaks about the people of Israel. For example, in Isaiah 43, you see here, it says, my chosen people 
the people whom I formed, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's the same word as purchased or obtained, the people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. And then in Psalm 74, verse 2, it's even clearer. Speaking to the Lord, remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. And the point is that as Israel were the redeemed people of God in the Old Testament, so in the New Testament, the church with people from every nation, are the new Israel, the redeemed people of God, purchased by God and kept by God to be his special possession forever. This fact that we have been purchased by God, that we belong to God, that we are owned by God, should really change our mindset. Both as individuals and collectively as a church. Let's look at how Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says there, flee from sexual immorality. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now this emphasis here, you are not your own, you are bought at a price. It goes totally against the attitude and the ways of the world. Take, for example, the whole subject of abortion. You think about what is one of the main arguments to allow ladies to have an abortion and to kill the baby within them. One of the main arguments is the body, it's my body, I can do with it as I please. And therefore the issue of abortion is put under the umbrella of women's health care. Because it's my body, it's their body, they can do with it as they want to. Well, no, it is not their body. Your body is not your body. My body is not my body. Our body, first of all, belongs to God as our creator. He has made us. Because he has made us, he, has, he owns us. And then for those of us who are Christians, we have the double ownership which comes from not only have we been made by God, but we have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been bought with a price by the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, my body, my life, is not my own to deal with it as I please. And you know, the application that comes into every area of our lives. Young people, you're choosing subjects in school, you're doing subjects, you're thinking what you'll want to do when you leave school, go to university or whatever else, get a job. Remember this when you're making your plans. Your life, if you are a Christian, is not your own to do with as you please. Your life belongs to Jesus to live for his glory, to live for his honor. 
It also has implications in how we do our work. It's my job. I can do my job as I please in my way. If you look at the, what it teaches about masters and servants in Ephesians and Colossians, the emphasis, no, it's not your job to deal with it as you please. You belong to the Lord. You live for him. You serve him. You honor him. And that comes into every area of our lives. We have been bought at our price. We belong to the Lord. The world out there, it goes about its business. It says it's free to do as it pleases. It goes according to its own agenda. But in reality, the world out there, the people are slaves to the devil. But we as Christians, we are slaves. We are servants of a wonderful, glorious God who has called us to himself, who has bought us with a price. We belong to him. And so it's not what I choose to do. We have to be like Jesus in Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done. And as you gather around the table today, you take the bread in your hands, you take the blood in your hands, you can only do that with integrity, with a heart that's surrendered to the will of God, because you are not your own. So the called church, the purchased church, and then thirdly, finally, the costly church, the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. This is quite an unusual phrase. Not so much the mention of being purchased with blood, but it being described here as the blood of God. It's that that makes it stand out. The blood of Jesus is, a, is common in the New Testament, but this phrase, the blood of God, is not. And the fact that the price that is paid for us is the blood of God, is to emphasize how personally, how personal the cross was to God. How personal to God is this price that was paid. Now Jesus, who died on the cross, was truly man. He was truly a human being with a human body, mind and soul so he was as human as you and I are indeed he was more human than you and me because we are human beings who have been flawed and corrupted by sin Jesus was the perfect human being he was truly man truly human but Jesus was also truly God he was someone who was one person but had two natures. A human nature but also a divine nature. He was God the Son who had come to take on human flesh, human nature. Now we can't understand that. That's beyond us. We just accept what the Bible teaches. That Jesus was truly human and truly God. 
And the point of this is that the Jesus who died on the cross, yes, he was a man, but he was also God. And here's a great mystery for us. How can the offer of life, how can the source of all life, God the Son, how can God die? We don't know, but it has happened. Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, shed his blood. He died on the cross for the sins of his people to purchase them for God. And that death on the cross has a a depth to it, which is beyond us to grasp. The death of Jesus on the cross had aspects to it which were totally unlike any other death. As the sky went dark, the wrath of God the Father was poured on Jesus, was poured on God the Son. So much so that the Son, who had this eternal relationship with the Father and the Spirit, this eternal relationship of absolute intimacy and love, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How can this be? God, his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God but three persons. How can the Father and the Son be divided? Again, there's great mystery here, and we we can't speculate, we can't go beyond what Scripture says But I believe there is real merit in the words of John Stott in his tremendous book on the cross whereby he says that at this point there was a rupture in the Godhead. A rupture in the Godhead. And the point to emphasize here is that behind this phrase purchased or obtained with the blood of God is that the the cross of Calvary cost God more than we can ever imagine. There was a price being paid which was more costly than we can ever grasp. We can think of the anguish of the Son who as he thought of going to the cross and enduring the Father's wrath and experiencing that abandonment by the Father in Gethsemane, he sweat drops of blood. Such was his anguish just at thinking of what was ahead. What must it have been like for him on the cross? And then we think of the Father. What it was like for the Father to watch his son go through this. I think it's illustrated for us in one way in the story of Abraham being asked to sacrifice his son Isaac on the Mount Moriah, the very mountain where Jerusalem would be built, the very mountain where God's son would go and die at Calvary. You know the story where at the very last minute God intervenes and Abraham didn't have to sacrifice his son. But can you imagine that thought for Abraham? Abraham probably more than anyone else has a little glimpse of what it cost the Father to bring salvation. He was there in those shoes. But listen, even if Abraham had to go through with killing his son, 
he still wouldn't understand because there's this relationship between the Father and the Son who are both God. There's a, a unity there. There's a love there. There's a depth there that when that was broken on the cross of Calvary, it had to have caused a pain that is unrivaled. And so this redemption at Calvary, the price by which the church was purchased was so costly, it's unparalleled. How does that make you feel? That is the blood of God. It's the, the cost to God. Our salvation. Our redemption. You know, there's so much happens in this world which we don't understand. There's so much and we ask questions, why? But when we learn that Calvary costs God more than we can ever imagine, we have to say, there is my God who I can trust with every ounce of my being. And if you're not a Christian here today, if you're someone who's never heeded the call of God and come to Christ for salvation, how does it make you feel that such a price has been paid for salvation at Calvary? And Jesus calls you to come and receive that salvation. He has paid such a price. The Father has paid such a price. And he calls you to come. You refuse. You make this excuse. You make that excuse. You make the other excuse. You say the time's not right or whatever. And God says to you, my dear person, do you not understand something of what it has cost me? The price that has been paid in me giving my son who I love, my son who I've been joined with all eternity, that I would abandon him, that I pour my wrath upon him on that cross. And you still say, no, I'm not going to come. I'm not going to respond. Oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. What a love. What an offer. You have to come. And you have to come now to him. So what have we learned from this part of this verse today? The precious church. It's a called church, called to Christ, called out of the world to be different. It's a purchased church. It's owned by God. It belongs to God. And we're to be a different people because of that. It's a costly church. It cost the Lord so much, so much, because he loves us so much, so much. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your precious word. And Lord, we've been delving into depths here, which really are very limited of our minds. But Father, we just pray that your spirit would cause this truth to have the impact upon our souls as you desire. 
but the blood of God. The blood of Christ which has purchased your people, our salvation. Oh Lord, grant that we would be a people who are different because of that. Different, Father, in how we interact to each other. Different in how we behave as we go into the world outside. That we would be a people who live for the praise and glory of our God, who has bought, bought us at such a high price. And Father, for any who haven't come, who haven't embraced this amazing salvation which Jesus has died to bring, oh Lord, give them that grace this day to come and just blow out of their minds every excuse. And today may they just bow before the cross like like pilgrim and pilgrim's progress and know the burden of sin being washed away. No eternal life is theirs. For such grace we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.